Genre. Hi, welcome to Lord of the Rings. Hi. Hi. Sorry. Hang on. Just... Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 87, which starts with Saruman saying, So you have chosen death, and ends with Frodo walking out onto a balcony in Rivendell. So nice. So nice. I really like the the Rivendell music that kind of starts as Elrond pops out behind Gandalf's shoulder and continues. We see him in a not creepy dream sequence. (laughs) It's still a little creepy. Yeah. I mean, Hugo Weaving also always looks a little threatening. I don't, I mean. A little angry. For some reason, this minute is, it doesn't feel natural. It's full of uncomfortable pauses. It, it doesn't feel natural when you watch it as its isolated minute. It's very much like the end of uh, uh, end of Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. And you were there, Gandalf. <laughs> you were there, Sam. Which happens again at the end of the trilogy. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, how similar this sort of is to the end of the trilogy. Yeah. When this is roughly a third of the way, a little over a third of the way through the first movie. Um... I think it's more than a third. Well, we're, what, 20 minutes from the Council of Elrond? And that's the halfway point. Yeah, okay. Well, I am i don't know. So. Fractions. Fractions. How do they work? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was never good at that part of mathematics. Um, I think it's really the shot where Gandalf says... You know, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, all thanks to our friend Elrond here, and it like pans you you're watching from frodo's point of view so the camera's from point of frodo's point of view it pans past gandalf and like up and to the to the like the right to where elrond just shows up and then he kind of like smiles benignly and i think it's supposed to be a benign smile but welcome to rivendell Frodo it makes Baggins. me feel uncomfortable. It really is, though. Like, when, you, when you're when you watching this section of the movie, isolated like we are, there really are just a strange number of long pauses yeah. in the dialogue here. And I don't know if that's supposed to be because, like, Frodo is, like, sick, so people are trying to dance around how sick he really is. Because Gandalf and Elrond know, but no one else really does. Mm-hmm. Like, cause he, he, Frodo won't know how sick he really still is for a long time. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if maybe that's like the feel they're going for, but it's kind of weird watching it isolated from everything else. Like you said, it is just strange. If that's the case, though, they're really, really bad at feigning like a good bedside manner. Yeah. You know, like, I'm... yeah, like for like Gandalf, for all we know, Gandalf's been staring off into space for 30 seconds and Frodo's like. Gandalf, what's wrong? And he's just like... I was delayed. And then he doesn't say anything. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened. 
<laughs> because the way Frodo says Gandalf, it's like he didn't tell him a story. He's no. Like, are, are, are you okay? Yeah. And it's just Gandalf's PTSD. He's just staring off into the distance. That's so scary. That's sad. Don't make fun of PTSD. I'm not trying to make fun of PTSD. Okay. I love the Frodo Sam reunion, though. Yes, when Sam runs in and grabs Frodo's hand. Yeah. Which Ian McKellen made sure happened. Kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Ian McKellen mentions in the in the cast commentary that he feels like it's an important detail that a heterosexual actor might overlook from the book or like a moment between these two characters' relationships. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to make sure that Sean Astin ran in and grabbed Elijah Wood's hand. Ian McKellen shifts, ships Frodo Sam. Yes, he does. That's what you're telling He me. absolutely does. <laughs> That's all. And then Sean Astin mentions a little bit later on in the cast commentary, he got a fan letter from someone specifically mentioning how much it meant to them that that moment was in the movie. Oh, that's lovely. So that's pretty cool. I love Ian McKellen kind of standing up for these really tiny moments of character in the source material because yeah. as, he, as dry as the book is, there is still quite a bit of, character detail yes. and character growth. So I love that amidst all of the, you know, action sequences and all of the the machismo of like the quest, Ian McKellen's just like, nah, character don't, development. Don't forget <laughs> this. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, he mentions very much as like being a homosexual man himself, that he really tries to stick up for any little thing like that in a story and any work that he's a part of that people can latch onto or like read that into it because it's important. Mm -hmm. for representation or like making people more comfortable I mean, with these it kind things. of walks the i mean this is this is a whole other conversation but like it one could argue that because they do i don't know queer baiting's a thing yeah so <laughs> but that's obvious that's obviously not ian mckellen's intention. no no and it doesn't really i wouldn't say i mean ian mckellen is like old school yeah. So subtext is very important to him, yeah. I would feel. Yeah. I mean, he is open about his sexuality now, but I think when he was, even back when this movie was made, I don't know if he was open. No, he must have been because well, he's he talks talking about, about it in the, the commentary. commentary. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that was 15 years ago. And think about how much the movement has grown since then. Yeah. And like 2001, that's coming off of the the AIDS epidemic um in the 80s and 90s yeah so that that i don't know that takes a lot of courage yeah and i don't really think about i don't know i've never really thought about yeah. that yeah i mean some people might some people might argue that it could be kind of queer baby but at the same time that aspect of frodo and sam's relationship has been something that the Fandom has been really into since as early as the early 70s. Right. Like, it's something that people are familiar with and kind of expect to see. Yeah. I think to a degree. And Frodo is cast in many ways as, like, stunningly asexual in characterization. I think that, I he mean... He shows no interest in any ladies as he should by the, at the age he's in. That's true. And he never expresses any sort of desire to, like, have a family or start that kind of life at all. Mm -hmm. So he, he just wants to, like, live a life. Yeah. And his relationship with Sam is kind of 
it's interesting because it they're very close in a way that you know I'm a heterosexual guy that I don't necessarily think of like my friendships being. You don't have like a bromance. <laughs> I've had several, <laughs> but like most of the time, it's like you don't like run to someone like as a dude, bro. A dude, unquote, a dude bro as a dude oh my god as a heterosexual dude capital d capital b right. dude bro it's like a heterosexual dude even like your best friend sometimes you're not gonna like run to their bedside and grab their hand that's why like, not i don't know toxic, that's... toxic masculinity yeah. or whatnot <laughs> social things you know so like it's interesting to see that and i think it is really important to like the characterization of sam and frodo yeah just to have that moment I wouldn't necessarily say that subtext counts as representation, though. Yeah, maybe but, not necessarily. like, subtext is what, you know, dreams are made of as far as fandom goes. Like, Frodo and Sam is The just, subtext is basically text. Like, Frodo uh. and Sam is the same on the same level as, like, Spock and Kirk. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I would argue there's a little more for Fra Sam and Frodo. Really? But, yeah. I was going to say, like, there's, like... You know, not not a not track, <laughs> not like amount of slash fic or, or anything. Like no, no, that. no. I mean, like in the subtext or, and like things to refer to. Yeah. I mean, we're only dealing with one work with Sam and Frodo, really. And I think like within that one work and especially in the way that it's interpreted in like this movie, there's a lot of subtext. Like right. a lot, a lot. Well, a lot. I mean, like we talked about it, you know, weeks ago at this point, but that scene in the cornfield. Yeah, that's I mean. I I could write an essay about that scene in the cornfield. Right, because but, it's that that scene is basically about the loss of Sam's innocence. Well, not in even, a way. Not even the loss of Sam's innocence, but the way that he is so protective. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't want to retread ground that we've already talked at length yeah, about, yeah, yeah. but Sam gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> bye. No, Sam, I, bye. I know. That's that's my point. Anyway, don't erase his love of Rosie Cotton. <laughs> don't don't talk to me about bi erasure, sore. I know, sore, sir, sore. I know. <laughs> my, you come into my house, <laughs> our house. <laughs> no, I don't. I almost said in the middle of our street. Um. <laughs> so speaking of houses, we get kind of. We start to look at no. We get a good glimpse of the the house of Elrond and Rivendell. We get a, we get minute. that wide shot in the in the valley. My head cannon is that elf that is cloaked with the uh, very prominent bow and the quiver of arrows on the white horse. Is my guy Legolas? He's wearing a helmet, I believe. No, he's wearing a hood. Is he? It's a cloak. There's. It looks like uh, there's a lot of reflective stuff going on. Yeah, it's the el the elvish cloak. I mean, I guess Arwen did have metal woven into hers. They're like the cloaks that um, they get in Lothlorien, the elf, the the basically like elf camo. I don't know. I don't think that that's supposed to be Legolas. I think it's supposed to just be like an elf doing his elfy business. I think my headcanon says it's Legolas because any, any more I get to talk about Legolas is a good day. I suppose. <laughs> I'm so excited. We're Almost. so close. Almost. It's like two or three minutes from now we see him. Maybe maybe <laughs> as many as five. No, you don't see him till the Council of Elrond. No, you see him get off a horse. Do you? Yeah, uh, Boromir, Legolas, and Gimli have like 
Oh, these boy. quick little arrival shots. All right, so I'm going to compare his horse that he gets off of to the horse that we see in this minute. Okay. And I'll do some sleuthing. Some sleuthing? Yeah. Some sleuthing. I feel like if that was supposed to be Legolas, Orlando Bloom would have been like, that's me. Like, it's me. I don't... I mean, Orlando Bloom is so about celebrating his cast members, and I feel like a lot of the people on the commentary are, that he... I don't feel like he'd be like, oh, it's me! Yeah. You know? So, one of the things to talk about with Rivendell is the idea that this is one of the first sets that they designed, mm-hmm. nearly two and a half years out from the movie. That's so crazy. And that this set is built in a public park in Wellington. That's so They had cool. to close off the public park while they were filming all of this. I mean, that's not cool, but it's also kind of cool. And to build Rivendell in the way that they did with nature all interwoven with it, the Greens Department went into this park, took out... All the native plant life. Yeah. All of it. Dug it all up, put it all in a greenhouse, and then put in their own greens, let them grow for a little while, kept all the stuff they removed alive, built the set, filmed the scenes, took all of that down, removed all of that plant life, and put what they originally took out back where it was. That's so nice. That, to me, is almost as, if not equally as impressive as building the Shire. I think, well, it depends on the scale of the set, too. Because the Shire, you can tell, is huge. Yes. Um, But if Rivendell is just this little corner of a park. Yeah, and it's hard to, they don't really say how big it is, but just the uh, the amount of effort that goes into just removing all the plants and marking where they go. Mm -hmm. And then putting them all back where you took them from. And keeping them all alive through filming in a greenhouse. Because they mentioned that, like, Barry Osborne mentions that people got married here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he means, like, in the park because that's where they filmed it or on the set before they took it down. That's amazing. Be- I'm not sure what he means when he says that in the cast commentary. He's also the one that apparently chose Hugo Weaving for the role of Elrond. Huh. Because Peter Jackson... And uh, Peter and Fran and Philippa were having a really hard time thinking about who they wanted to play Elrond. And they saw dozens of auditions and no one seemed right to them. Yeah. And then Barry Osborne suggested Hugo Weaving. And he came out and met with Peter and Fran on the at the Hobbiton set where they were doing the Shire. And Peter gave him the job that day. Huh. That's cool. Like, that's what they, they mentioned in the commentary. He came out to meet him and Peter's like, I gave him the job. So. I mean, at least he didn't fly halfway across the world to get rejected. Right. <laughs> Yugo Weaving's from there, isn't he? Um, I actually... Didn't we look this up? I think he's from, like, Australia or something. I'll, I can look it up again. Um, he's from that part of the world, at the very least. Yeah, but he, that doesn't necessarily mean he lives there. Yeah. But, I mean, it depends on... Where you were living at the time, I suppose. That's true. Because Ian McKellen was li- lives in London, and he was flying back and forth for a he bunch of He was stuff. born in Nigeria. Wow. That's awesome. Nigerian-born English-Australian film and stage actor. So I guess he might have been living in Australia. So that's not much of a... That's like a... Yeah, that's not a far. hop, skip, and a jump. That's like going to Canada. Yeah. I mean, you can't drive from Australia to New Zealand, from right. what I understand. <laughs> but right. <laughs> it's right. not like they have, like, the like the bridge or, like, the channel where you can take a train. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Rivendell's a really pretty set. It is. Uh, and the cool thing about this set is that all the shots with outside, like when Frodo steps onto that balcony, mm-hmm. what's in the background is a 20th scale miniature composited into the background. And then multiple layered shots of a 20th scale miniature to give it depth, like different pictures, and then they're all blue screen so all together. That's... And then in the further background, the valley are actual video and pictures and stills taken of a real valley somewhere in New Zealand that they composited into the background here. So like that valley shot? Is a is a composite shot with the miniature sitting there. Yeah. And then an actual place in New Zealand that the miniatures just pasted into. That's really cool. It doesn't look... You know how some of the effect shots you can tell? Yeah. At least with our copy. I have to like look at a Blu-ray to see if I can find the lines yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Watching our DVD on the Blu-ray player... Some things are a lot more evident than right. they were on the DVD player before our DVD player died. Right. Like Arwen's writing double. Like Arwen's writing double. But <laughs> when we watched it on the Blu-ray player, it was just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> hello there. Not Liv Tyler. But I think, I don't know. It's it's really cool how they, everything, like almost every shot is like a, a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Th- this especially compared to a lot of other places uh, the that is. The production guys and the design guys talk a lot about it on the commentary that pretty much every shot in Rivendell is like four or five layers. That's cool. To give what they, what artificial parallax is wow. what they refer to it as. So like, it looks like it's moving. Things are moving in different ways, even if the camera's stationary mm-hmm. because of the layering. So it's not, it doesn't just look like a map painting or right. a photo. Yeah. That's right. Like really gives it artificial depth. Right. Which I think is really cool, and it's a lot of highly technical stuff. I don't fully understand exactly what they're talking about, so because I'm not a tech, like a like a technical like, well, you're department not a, person, like a film editor, right? Like people lot, go lot. to school like for this, yeah, you know. No, it, this is well outside my <laughs> my frame of reference. Um, I don't have any other notes. For I this think one. that uh, that pretty much covers my my notes for this minute as well, as well as notes for a lot of things that go on in Rivendell in general Yeah, is about the set. I mean, we'll be in Rivendell for the next month, I think, yeah. easily. So, so I can keep in. talking about the set, but right. <laughs> we, should, we should avoid doing that. It's very pretty. So we're from DuelingGenre.com, which includes uh, other podcasts such as The Doctor's Companion, hosted by Scott and Nick, and Geek by Night, a fictional audio drama that is written, directed, and co-executive produced by my host, Cassandra, as well as Scott and Nick. And it just came back recently. It did just come back. And it's very good. Yeah, I think, I mean, at the time of this recording, it just came back. I don't remember where it falls. I think part two comes out this week. This week? But I could be wrong. It but, happens. I mean, if you haven't checked it out yet, you should. I'm biased, but I think we do a good job. And I'm really proud of it. So, yeah. I think it's good. I might be biased, too, but I think it's good. And as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. I hope everyone has a great Tuesday. Bye. Bye.